I think you would agree with me, wouldn't you, uh, that there is a lot of uncertainty in our world in these days. Um, we've been talking about social distancing and the fact that uh, we have come, we are, we are beginning to come back together after months now of dealing with the pandemic of COVID-19, which by the way has now claimed uh, more than 100,000 American lives. Uh, the newest uh, numbers in uh, the unemployment r- uh, rate this week has now exceeded 40 million unimaginable, 40 million Americans who have lost their jobs uh, in the last three months. No doubt some of you uh, are in that number as well. Um, And even while things uh, seem to be moving in the right direction and the trends seem to be moving right and much of America is beginning to reopen and here we are able to begin gathering together again, even amongst all of that hopeful restarting of our nation and our economy, there is a fear uh, that there might be a second wave and, and will this uh, uh, epidemic, will this disease rise up again? But it causes a lot of uncertainty in our world. I just mentioned the racial tensions that are bristling right now, really erupting and overflowing uh, across the land. The fact is there are people all around us who are suffering from insecurity. Maybe you're one of those. Maybe you're dealing with your own insecurities, insecurities related to COVID or or to what's happening with the racial tensions or just your own sort of insecurities that have nothing to do with any of those things. Here's what I want you to know. That if you are a believer in Jesus, there are two things at least, and certainly more than that, but there are certainly two things that God does not want you to ever be insecure about. Write them down. Two things God does not want us to be insecure about. One is to whom we belong. He never wants us to lack assurance or to have insecurities about to whom we belong And secondly, he does not want us to be insecure about where we are headed, to whom we belong or where we are headed. And so, to give us security in those two things, to assure our hearts in those two realities of to whom we belong and and where we are headed, he has given to us his holy Spirit. And it is the Holy Spirit of God which gives us this security. So before we dive into that, let me welcome you into the final week. This is week number five of our month plus long series, Life in the Spirit. And over the last month, we have been digging through uh, mostly the New Testament where we have been learning what the Bible says about the ministry, the person and the work of the Holy Spirit of God. So four things that we've learned. We began in week number one, learning that the Holy Spirit awakens our heart. You know these by now, don't you? I've reviewed them every week. Could you say them out loud with me? Pop quiz. Let's say them out loud together. I'm kidding. I wouldn't dare ask you to do that. The Holy Spirit awakens the heart. That was the first thing. Secondly, the Holy Spirit renews the mind. He transforms the way that we think. Thirdly, the Holy Spirit quickens the body. 
That is, he conforms our lives to the likeness of Jesus. He takes these dead, spiritually dead bodies and makes them live for Christ. Uh, Number four, last week, the Holy Spirit repurposes our lives. He uh, fills us with his spirit for great usefulness. Those are the four things that we've learned so far. Now, by the way, I should tell you that there are a lot more things that the Bible says about the Holy Spirit that we have not been able to get to. One particular aspect of the ministry of the Holy Spirit uh, that we have not delved into at all, and uh, in, in truth, this particular topic would need to be an entire series unto itself So we haven't been able to get into it in this series, but that has to do with the biblical teaching on spiritual gifts, uh, where we would answer questions like, um, what are the spiritual gifts? How many spiritual gifts are there? Are all of the spiritual gifts operative today? And if some aren't, which ones are and which ones aren't? And how do the spiritual gifts function within the local church? And how can I know what my spiritual gifts are? These are all really, really important questions that we ought to be able to to wrestle with and answer. And there's just no way to do it um, in this series. But don't despair. I want to uh, let you know that we have a plan for helping you identify your spiritual gifts and learn how to operate in your spiritual gifts. We've been utilizing a ministry over the years called Place. Some of you have participated in it. Place is a seven-week-long workshop, seven-week-long Bible study where you can learn the answers to all the questions that I was just asking. What are gifts and how do they function? How do I know which ones, uh, what they are? And how do I know what my gift is or what my gifts are? And so I would, I would uh, just uh, recommend this Bible study to you. It'll be beginning in July, and so you can uh, register for that online. July the 12th, it's happening here on Sunday mornings here in Weaverville. And uh, it'll be happening at 10.30 on Sunday mornings. Pastor Kevin Boone is going to be teaching that. So again, this is just one of those areas that we haven't been able to get into for the sake of time. We haven't been able to get into every topic, and that's one important thing that I'd love for all of you to know. So why don't you take advantage of that uh, beginning in July, the place workshop. However, today we're not talking about spiritual gifts. We're going to talk about the fifth uh, of five subjects related to the Holy Spirit. Jot it down. Today we're talking about how the Holy Spirit secures us for eternity. The Holy Spirit secures us for eternity. I would say it to you this way. If you're in Jesus you're safe. Amen? You're secure. Now, I know you're socially distanced, but would you look at the person sitting next to you and tell them you're safe? Just go ahead and tell them you're safe. You're safe. If you know Jesus, you're safe. Now, if you don't know that the person sitting next to you knows Jesus, ask them, are you sure you're safe? All right? We want to make sure that we know Christ as our Savior. The Holy Spirit secures us for eternity. Let's read the text. Ephesians chapter 1 beginning in verse number three. The Bible says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, 
that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he has made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both those things which are in heaven and those things which, were on, which are on the earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ, in whom you also trusted, after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. And all God's people said, Amen. What a beautiful and rich passage as Paul begins his letter uh, to the church at Ephesus. Now, last week I began after reading the text by asking you, did you notice the mention of all three persons of the divine trinity in the text? And so I'll ask you that question again today. Did you pick up on that? Are you beginning to see that more and more, become more and more aware of that as you read through the scriptures? Again, in today's text, you have mentions of each of the divine persons, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Look at verse number three. Blessed be God the Father. There's the, there's the first person of the Godhead. God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's the second person of the Godhead. Both of those in verse three. And then if you go down to verse number 13, he says, in whom you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom after you believed you were sealed with that, here he is, the Holy Spirit of promise. And so you have the third person of the Trinity mentioned in verse number 13. One chapter, introduction to this book, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. I want you to become more and more aware and have your antenna up and be watching for this as you read through the scriptures, and you'll see it over and over and over again. But what's significant is not just the fact that these three persons of the Trinity are mentioned, but did you notice as we were reading the passage how that each of these three, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, have particular and distinctive roles and involvements and parts to play in our conversion. They each play a different role in our eternal salvation. 
And so we're going to work through these verses today and make our way down to verse number 13, where he begins to talk about the Holy Spirit. So I have to tell you, everybody listen very carefully. Here's my struggle as a, as a preacher and a Bible teacher, right? Um, we're talking about the Holy Spirit. We started in verse 3. The Holy Spirit doesn't come up until verse 13. What am I to do with verses 3 through 12? Well, I'm just to preach them, right? So we're going to let the text speak today. We're just going to let the text speak to us. And we're going to work through these verses down to verses number 13 and 14 where we will conclude by learning about this securing role, securing work of the Holy Spirit. Let's begin by talking about the Father, though. Would you jot this down in your notes somewhere? What Paul tells us in the beginning of Ephesians is that the Father chose us for salvation. In, in speaking about each of the three persons of the Trinity, he reminds us that it was the work of the Father, the work of God the Father, who chose us for salvation. Now, it occurs to me that even as I say that, let me just make that statement again, all right? The Father chose us for salvation. That simple statement ought to prompt a response of deep gratitude to God for his grace. It ought to uh, prompt a response of praise. I mean, isn't that Paul's response? Look at verse number three. Blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus. That's a response of praise. He is saying in verse three, praise God. God for what he has done. And what is it that God has done according to Ephesians 1? God has chosen us for salvation. It ought to prompt praise. Sadly, very often, rather than prompting praise, that statement um, prompts instead debate. And it prompts debate often through, uh, among would-be theologians who are keen to parse the fine lines between sovereign election, the grace of God in election, and human responsibility and the free will of man and our own ability to come to faith in Jesus or not. Very often people love to debate the merits of a Calvinistic worldview, or biblical view, I should say, versus uh, an Arminian view, and, and, and debate, well, uh, can't everybody be saved, and did God choose some and not others, and that debate rages throughout, really, the history of the church. And I would just suggest to you, when you ask those two questions, did God choose some to salvation, and then the second question, well, cannot anybody be saved? The answer to those questions are yes and yes. The fact of the matter is both of those things are true. Let there not be any debate among us here at Brookstone Church. Here's what we know, that we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to whosoever will. We proclaim the gospel to every man, woman, and boy and girl. We preach the gospel to whosoever will, and we recognize that God knows and has chosen who belongs to him. So there is no reason to have a debate. 
The Bible tells us very, very plainly in verse number four, look at it, verse number four, according as he hath, he God, hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. I don't think there's much room for debate here, do you? Is the text plain or could it be any more plain? That God has chosen us. The word chosen means to be select or selected or to choose for one's self. Uh, twi- no, I started to say 20 some years ago. What am I thinking? 36 years ago, Tracy and I have an anniversary next week. 36 years ago, Tracy Riddle chose me. And that props praise in my heart. She chose me, she selected me. And when the Bible says that God chose us, that's what it means. It means that He selected us. Out of the world, he chose us to himself. Verse 5 uses another word, really a a little more precise of a word, when he says in verse number 5, having predestined or predestinated us unto the adoption of Jesus Christ. Again, in verse 11, he uses that word, in whom we have obtained, that's in Jesus, we have obtained an inheritance. Why have we obtained an inheritance in Jesus? Because we have been, verse 11 says, predestinated according to the purpose of him. Predestinated is a word used twice in this text. And the word means, as as it implies, that your destiny or your end is determined beforehand. It is predetermined or predestined or predestinated. Verse 4 says that we have been chosen Verses 5 and 11 tell us that he has predestinated us. Now, the scripture tells us then in, this, in these words, chosen and predestinated, that our salvation, listen carefully, our salvation is God's work. Our salvation is God's work. I want to show you this very, very plainly in the passage, not just by noting a word like chosen or noting the repeated use of the word uh, predestinated, but I want you to notice how that three different times in this passage, he talks to us about the, the will of God, the work of God being carried out in our salvation. Look at verse number five. Uh, Verse number five, having predestinated us under the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself. Why did he do this? What determined this? Verse five says, it was according to the good pleasure of his will. That is that our adoption as a child of God through the work of Jesus Christ was according to the good pleasure of God's will. Verse number nine, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he has purposed in himself. That is again, verse nine, emphasizing that God is working out his good pleasure in our conversion, in the birth of the church. And then in verse number 11, we just read, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. Now here's what I want you to see. If y'all are still with me at home at Merriman and here, shout amen. Amen. 
So here's what the Bible says. That God has chosen us to salvation according to his divine purpose, according to his will. And I would suggest to you, and I want you, this is an important nuance, that God did not choose us to salvation in response. He was not reacting to something that we did. He rather chose us ahead of time and his choice then prompted the response within us. Our salvation is his work. It is according to his purposes, his will, which these verses tell us he is always working. Now, one other thing that the passage teaches us about the fact that God has chosen us in him according to his will is that it denotes the time in which God made the choice. Look with me at verse number four. Uh, Verse four says, according as he hath chosen us in him. When did he do it? According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. Wow. So God made this choice not because he saw you as a cute little Sunday school kid, right? Not because he was watching you and, and seeing how sweet you were. And then he said, oh, he's like, you're not a puppy, right? He didn't come to the kennel and, oh, you're cute, I'll take you home. He, he chose you in him before the foundation of the world. That means before Genesis 1-1. That before God created the worlds, he has chosen us in him. Let me read to you. You don't have to turn, but I want to read to you from 2 Thessalonians. Listen to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse number 13. Paul writes, But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through the sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. He says in 2 Thessalonians that it was from the beginning that God has chosen you, Ephesians 1 and verse number 4, even before the foundation of the world. All right, so what is Paul teaching us? That the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit are all involved in our conversion. God's part, God the Father's part, was that part of choosing us to salvation. He chose us. He called us to himself. He made this choice before he made the worlds according to his plan. Now, his calling and his choosing of us to salvation has provided us, the text says, with every spiritual blessing. Look at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. What Paul teaches us in verse number four, uh, verse number three rather, is that we have been given by the merciful hand of God every spiritual blessing. These spiritual blessings have been poured out on us. And he delineates, in fact, in the passage what some of those blessings are. We'll get to them in a minute. But he tells us that these blessings that are ours, now if I were to ask you, what would you say is a blessing about belonging to the Lord? How would you say you're blessed because you're a believer? We might say things like, well, I'm blessed because I'm, I'm part of a church family, right? What a blessing you are to me. Well, that's a, good, that's a nice blessing. That is from God, to be sure. I'm, I'm uh, blessed because I believe the Bible. God's given me a Bible, and, and I believe it. Man, what a blessing to have the Scriptures. We could talk about those things. But he says in this passage that we have been blessed, look at it, verse 3, in heavenly places. He has given us 
all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So the blessing that God has given to us that Paul is delineating are not the earthly blessings or the blessings of our fellowship or our walk in this life. It is a set of blessings that are seated in another place. They're seated in the heavenlies. In fact, it's interesting, Paul uses this phrase, heavenly places, five times in the book of Ephesians. And it's not used in any other book of the Bible. Only here, Paul uses this this phrase, heavenly places. Look at chapter 1 and verse 20. Chapter 1, verse 20. Speaking about the power of of uh, the spirit which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. There's the, the phrase again. The heavenly places. Look at chapter two and verse number six. He has raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You see it again in chapter three, again in chapter number six. But the point is, the the word or the phrase in heavenly places means in the courts of Almighty God or in in the heavenlies. We are not just blessed in this life or this world, but we have been given all spiritual blessings that are rooted in the very throne room of God. Our blessing is not just here, it is in the very presence of God. Let me, let me say it to you another way. Here's, here's what Paul is meaning to teach us. That in the very presence of God, if y'all listening, shout amen. In the very presence of God, we have been called blessed. We have been declared blessed in the very presence of God. Now, he tells us in this passage what these spiritual blessings are. But you could sum them up. I'm I'm not going to take time to detail all of them. But you could sum them up with verse number 6. Look at it. Verse number 6. Here's the sum of our spiritual blessing in heavenly places. To the praise of his glory, the glory of his grace, wherein he has made us accepted in the beloved. If you want to know what the choice of God Almighty by his sovereign will before he made worlds, choosing you to salvation, what it has resulted in, here it is, that in the presence of Almighty God, you have been called blessed, you have been made accepted. And the word accepted in that verse literally means, it's a form of the Greek word charis, which is the word for grace. It's the word which means that we have been embraced in the very presence of God. If I were to walk into the Oval Office tomorrow, uninvited, they would run me out. Well, they probably wouldn't run me out. They'd probably throw me to the ground and, and handcuff me. I'm, I'm not blessed in the Oval Office. If I were to walk into the governor's mansion in Raleigh tomorrow, I'm not blessed in the presence of the governor. But you're looking at a guy who by no merit of his own, but simply because the God of eternity in mercy and grace, before he made worlds, put his finger on my life and said, he will be embraced in my presence. I stand accepted among the beloved in the presence of almighty God. That's grace. And that ought to prompt a response 
of praise among God's people. Do you understand? This is why he says in verse number three, blessed be God. Here's the fact that heaven was once closed to all of mankind. Surely it was closed to me. Sin had separated us. There was a chasm so great that we could never cross that chasm. And hell, and hell alone, with its hottest flame, was our well-deserved and fully expected end. But then we got word that the God of creation had put his finger on our lives and called us blessed in his presence. And why would he do such a thing? Why would God do that? You say, well, he does it because he loves us. Well, yeah, he does do it because he loves us. That's absolutely true. He would not do it if he didn't love us. But there's a deeper reason. There's a grander reason than just the fact that he loves us, that he does it. Did you notice in this passage that three different times, verse 6, verse 12, verse 14, all three times it says that he did this to the praise of his glorious grace. Are you all with me? Here's what he means, that throughout all eternity, sinners like you and me will find ourselves accepted in the presence of almighty God. We will find ourselves having deserved hell now welcomed into the presence of almighty God and our presence in his heaven will be, it will resound throughout all eternity to say God is so gloriously gracious that Jim Dykes gets to be here. It will resound to the glory of his grace. So, verse three, would you agree with me? Blessed be God, amen? amen. Praise God that he has chosen us for salvation and that we are accepted in the beloved. So the Bible speaks to us in this passage about the role of God the Father in the conversion of the saints and the motivation of it and the reason for it and the, and the effect of it. But secondly, it speaks about the role of God the Son in our salvation. Write this down. The Son sacrificed for our salvation. God the Father chose us to salvation. God the Son sacrificed for our salvation. Now, of all the blessings that we've been speaking of and the glories of our acceptance in his presence, you should notice in the text in verse uh, number three and in verse number five that this acceptance and this welcome and this uh, being in the presence of God are rooted in, these blessings are provided by and in Jesus. I want you to circle in verse number three this one little word. Listen, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Now circle in, I-N, in, in Christ. You take those last two words out of that verse and the rest of the verse evaporates. You take the last two words out of that verse, there are no spiritual blessings. There, are, there is no uh, spiritual welcome in heaven without Christ. Then look at verse number six. It says in verse number six, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he has made us accepted. In, I'm sorry, it's not verse six, verse five. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children, circle it, by, by Christ Jesus unto himself. 
So it's in Jesus, I know you know this, it is in Jesus that we have received this calling, this election, this choice comes through Jesus. But what did Jesus do? The Bible makes it clear in verse number seven, we receive these blessings not just through Jesus in his person, but Jesus in his work in whom we have redemption through his blood. In whom we have redemption through his blood. There would be no redemption without the blood of Jesus having been shed. This is the reason that we celebrate and we sing about the crucifixion and the cross. It's the reason we celebrate and sing about the blood of Jesus Christ. It's the reason we declare that every sinner plunged beneath that flow is washed as white as snow because there is no blessing. The choice would have no effect if the blood of Jesus Christ had not been shed. God the Father had to choose, but the choice wasn't enough. God the Son had to shed his blood in order for the choice to take effect. It was through his blood we have redemption through his blood. Verse number 13, in whom you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Where is my salvation? How is it in Christ? It is in the gospel, the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. So God the Father chose us. God the Son sacrificed for our salvation. And so in Christ, we have experienced and we are promised these spiritual blessings that are all summed up in the fact that we are accepted. By the way, let me just kind of go down through them quickly. I, I, I've, I've got time. I wasn't going to take the time, but we're doing okay. If you think we're doing okay, say amen. I'm okay. Are you okay? <laughs> I think we got time. Hey, he says that one of the blessings that we have received, look at it in verse number five, is that we have received the blessing of adoption, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ. You know what this means, of course. Some of you are adopted. Some of you have been adopted. Tracy and I, uh, our family's an adoptive family. We adopted a daughter a number of years ago. So I know what it is for there to be a child who's not your child and then to welcome that child into your home. Some of you know that from the other side of that equation. You've been welcomed into somebody's home. Here's what the Bible says. We were all orphans. We were all spiritual orphans. And yet through the blood of Jesus Christ, we have been given the gift of adoption. We are now sons and daughters of God. John says it this way in 1 John Beloved, now are we the sons of God. We have been called sons of God, adopted into his family. Verse number uh, seven tells us we have been redeemed. It means we've been released from the penalty of our sin. We've been brought back into fellowship with God. We've been received forgiveness. It means we've been released from the obligation of our sin. I don't have to pay God back because Christ paid for it. And verse number 11 tells us that we have been promised an inheritance not only have we gotten an adoption, redemption, forgiveness, but verse 11, in whom that is in Jesus, we have obtained an inheritance. That inheritance is that benefit, that blessing of eternal life with God our Father and with Christ. But the big question then remains, doesn't it? If this is what God determined and chose and what Christ died for and what the Spirit has affected when he drew me to faith in Jesus, gave me awoken or awakened my heart so that I would believe the gospel? How can I be sure that my forgiveness is eternal? Listen to me. How can I know for certain that I haven't botched it up along the way? 
How can I know for certain that he hasn't changed his mind because of my stumblings? How can I be certain that my eternal standing is secure and that my inheritance is waiting? Paul tells us in Ephesians 1 how we can be sure. By the way, the answer is not, well, you can be sure if you check all the boxes and keep your nose clean. You can be sure if you're at church every Sunday when the doors are open. You can be sure if, no. He says, here's how you can know. You can have security because of the work of the Holy Spirit, the securing work of the Holy Spirit. Write this down. God the Father chose us. God the Son sacrificed for our salvation. God the Spirit seals us for eternity. He seals us for eternity. Here's the way I would say it when it comes to our salvation. God planned it. Christ paid for it. The church preaches it. Sinners believe it. And the Spirit secures it. Are you with me? Can I say it again? You ought to say amen. If you don't, I'm going to say it for you. All right? (laughs) The Father plans it. The Son paid for it. The church preaches it. Sinners receive it. And the Holy Spirit secures it once and for all. This is the way that it works. The Holy Spirit seals our salvation. Look at verse number 13, chapter one, verse number 13. In whom you also trusted, trusted in Jesus, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed in him, what happened? You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, or the promised Holy Spirit. Turn one page, look at Ephesians 4 and verse number 30, where he says it again, Ephesians 4 and verse 30, and grieve not the Holy Spirit, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. He has sealed you. Now, by the way, the word seal means to put a mark on, to put a mark on. Uh, Many of you know that in the ancient world, the way that uh, a document, an important document or a decree was authenticated is that it would be rolled up like a scroll or folded up. And then where it came together at that last Fold, there would be a blob or a blot of wax that would be pressed into the document, binding it together. And then with the king's signet ring, he would press his mark into that wax and the wax would take that form and it would identify that document as belonging to that particular king, being the responsibility of and the plan of that particular authority. Very much like a notary in our day, right? It's, it's a notary seal that authenticates a document. Well, a seal in, in, ancient, in the ancient world was the same thing. The king's seal would communicate ownership. By sealing a document or a decree, the king was saying, this is my plan. This is my decree. I own it. No one else has authority over it. It communicated ownership, it communicated authority, that the, 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 the contents or the intent of that document would remain unaltered, and it communicated responsibility, that it would be the king who had sealed it, who would take responsibility for executing the contents 
of the document, all of which resulted in one sure fact, that whatever the document said would happen was going to happen, that whatever the decree is or was would, in fact, be carried out. Well, in the same way, what the Bible is telling us is that God, as the king of all eternity, has chosen you to himself. He has paid for your sin, for your redemption, for the forgiveness of your sin through the blood of Jesus Christ. He has declared you his son or daughter, promised you an inheritance, and he has bound you into that eternal transaction and sealed, put his seal upon your life, and his seal is the Holy Spirit. And it is the presence of the Holy Spirit, the mark of the Holy Spirit in our lives, which assures us that we belong to God and that he will carry out everything that he has promised. And so when Satan comes along and he tries to steal away, rob me of my joy, Rob me of my assurance. Cause me to doubt if God really loves me or if I'm really saved. There is a seal upon my life. It's not my own merit, my own goodness, my own fortitude. It is the seal of the Holy Spirit on my life. I belong to God Almighty. Satan has no authority to change that. When Satan comes and tries to cause me to doubt or when my own failings and temptations seem to threaten my destiny, It is the seal of the Holy Spirit which declares that I belong to God Almighty. Even though I don't always look like it, my behavior sometimes would would not look like I do. It is the Spirit of God on my life that guarantees me that I do belong to him. He seals me. Do you understand? God chose me. Christ sacrificed for me and the Holy Spirit seals me to the work that he's accomplished. He says in verse number 14, finally, That the Holy Spirit not only has sealed us, but the Holy Spirit is the earnest of our inheritance under the redemption of the purchased possession. Again, under the praise of his glory. He is the earnest of our inheritance. You know what the earnest is, right? It's a deposit, a guarantee, a a pledge. It's a promise. If you've ever bought a house, you had to put earnest money down. When you gave them earnest money, you're saying, I'm serious about this. I don't want to lose my money. I'm I'm giving you a few thousand dollars to promise you I'm going to buy the house. And then if I don't buy the house, I lose my earnest money, right? It's a a guarantee. I'm serious about this transaction. How profound is it that when God purchased my soul, when God adopted me into his family, and he promised me an inheritance in heaven, he said, I'm so serious. Jim, I'm so committed that you're going to be with me and be my son forever. I don't ever want you to doubt that that's true. I want you to know that I'm going to keep my word to you. So I'm going to put a deposit of heaven in you, promising and pledging to you that one day I'll come get you and you will experience the full redemption that will be yours in eternity in heaven. He's the earnest. He's the guarantee, the pledge that one day we will be with him. It's a world full of uncertainty. It's a world rattled right now and there's a lot of insecurity, but there are two things God never wants you to be insecure about. You belong to him. You're going to heaven. And it is the spirit of God on your life and in your life, which is your guarantee that that will happen. And all God's people said, amen.